So, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What this means for those who will serve Jesus, and not for those who won't, but for those who will serve Jesus, is that they can go to heaven. That's what it means. So before Jesus died, nobody went to heaven. Before Jesus died, the good would go to a place called Sheol. So Abraham and his wife Sarah and Moses and King David and the prophets Samuel and Amos and Elijah and all the rest. Not Elijah, he went up to heaven, but Gideon and whoever else. And going all the way back to Adam and Eve, the good went to Sheol, the abode of the dead. And that's where they awaited I don't even know that they knew what they were waiting for, or if they even knew they were waiting, or if they thought that where they were was eternal. But there they were in Sheol. It wasn't hell. It was just kind of a natural state of existence in this place, in this state of being, Sheol. And then Jesus dies, and when we hear in the Apostles' Creed, and the Nicene Creed, but especially the Apostles' Creed, he descends into the dead, into hell. Into the dead, he descends down into Sheol and liberates these people, sets them free, and they can now go to heaven. So this is his stepfather, St. Joseph. All the rest get to finally go to heaven. They go to heaven. And then he proceeds further down into hell, breaks the doors of hell, and informs Satan and the fallen angels and all the people in hell that he's Lord even of hell. Then he rises from the dead. And this is where the story picks up. Jesus rises from the dead. And he lets us know that if we will love and serve God, we can too live an eternal life in heaven, in beatific bliss and happiness for all eternity, beyond our wildest dreams, if we will love and serve him. So it's not that Jesus rose from the dead, therefore every human being goes to heaven. No, God still gives all of us free will, and we exercise that over the arc of this life as to whether or not we will choose in the end of this life to spend it with them or not. But the thing with this life is it's the only life we've got. There isn't another chance. There's just this one life. And many people die as babies or little children and they never get an opportunity to serve God. We do, and we generally kind of don't like it because it means sacrifice and suffering that I've got to serve God. And so we, if anything, maybe resent it. I know many adults who are mad at their parents because their parents had them catechized in the Catholic faith, and they resent having ever known better. They wish they were raised in absolute ignorance of God so that they wouldn't feel any moral responsibility to have to serve God. And so instead of seeing their selfishness, they blame their parents for being a bad parent for having raised them in the practice of the Catholic faith because now as adults they don't want to serve God but their conscience is bothering them that they should. And that that is a gift from God because that might compel them to finally say, okay God, I'll serve you, I'll serve you. If only to alleviate my conscience. But here's the thing, what, what Christ gives us is fantastically beyond the peanuts that we have in this life. Ridiculously beyond any happiness we have in this life. If there's a billion cells in every human being's body, one billion cells, which we kind of lose numbers because we're in trillions of dollars of national debt and all that, but a billion is still a pretty big number. There's a billion cells in every human being's body, and one day in the kingdom of heaven, every cell is transfigured and glorified, and every cell feels absolutely healthy and happy. 
And we're in this never-ending state of perfect happiness every second for eternity. We don't have that for one second on earth. Not even one second on earth. And all we need to do to obtain that for ourselves is to serve our Lord in this life. To merit in some way. Not that we can earn heaven because it's too great. There's no contribution that we can make in this life that could ever equal heaven, what God has got. But that we would try. But that we would try. And God takes that trying and that effort. He says, I see it. I see it. And I have redeemed you in baptism because I have died and rose from the dead and you can have eternal life. But there's more to the story than just that. There's far more to the story than just that. Jesus didn't rise from the dead and then he went off to the kingdom of heaven where he, uh, I don't know, sits around Lake Cancun and smokes cigars or something. Jesus continues to be actively involved in every one of our lives trying to get us to heaven. And yet every day we sin and every day we drive more nails into Jesus. And yet every day he's continuing to try, despite the sin, despite the rejection of him, etc., to get us to heaven without violating our free will. And he's doing this. Why? Why is he doing this? Why does he care about us? If he's God and God is infinitely happy in himself and God is, there is nothing more that we can add to God's happiness. If you're infinitely happy, nobody or nothing else can add to it. God does it just out of pure goodness on his part. Whether we're in heaven with him or not in heaven with him won't affect his happiness at all. It's just out of pure charity that he would like for you to enjoy that happiness. He'd like for us to enjoy it. And so he'd go so far as to lay down his life that you and I might enjoy it. In the Lord of the Rings, there is this wizard named Gandalf. Gandalf is a gray wizard. There's only, if you read Tolkien's The Silmarillion, he explains the creation of Middle Earth. And what Tolkien is, Tolkien's a devout Catholic. He goes to Mass daily. He goes to confession at least once a month. He prays the rosary every day. Devout Catholic. And Tolkien gets this incredible Christian vision of Middle Earth and, and the orcs and the good guys and the bad guys and all that kind of thing. In his creation of Middle Earth, what he has are these seven... Uh, wizards, which are just another word for him of high angels, the seraphim. And one of them rebels against God or the creator of the wizards, and this would be Lucifer. He's cast out of heaven down to Middle Earth. And there on Middle Earth, the creator will create the human race, but in Mordor, where the fallen dark angel Sauron lives. But you still have these other six good wizards. But there are different classes, brown, gray, white, different colors and classes and powers and abilities, etc. Well, in this epic novel of the story of Middle-earth, which is all fiction, but related to our own story, this one good wizard, Gandalf, gray wizard, there are other wizards, but he's this one wizard who seems to be willing to try to help the human race. The other wizards are... One of them becomes evil. Sauron becomes evil. Another one, the brown wizard, he seems to have nothing to do with people other than just try to get away from people because they're so wicked and disastrous. But Gandalf the Grey, there's something in him that compels him 
to try to help these people, to help the people, to help the hobbits, to help the elves. So he unites himself to them to try to save them from the Dark Lord Sauron. Gandalf is powerful enough maybe in himself to be saved from him anyway, and he could certainly sail to the undying lands of the West and have nothing to do with Middle-earth anymore. But Gandalf gets in there and he fights with these people. He leads them on the quest to destroy the ring. It has to be destroyed in order to stop Sauron. There's a point in the story in which Gandalf goes into some kind of mortal combat with a great big I forget what it's called, a barador or something, something with a bee, a great big monster with wings, and he's got fiery breath and all of this, and he lives down in the earth. Uh, and so Gandalf and this guy get in a big fight so that, the, so that the little team of ring people can get away. And they get away, but Gandalf falls. He falls down into hell. He's falling through the crevices of the earth with this monster, fighting this monster. And it's a pitch battle to the death. One or both will die. There's no other way. In the end, Gandalf is, is, thinks that he's died. He has exhausted himself. He's unconscious. He assumes he's dead. And then he rises from the dead, but he's no longer Gandalf the Grey. He's Gandalf the White. He's taken the place of Sauron, which was the Wizard of White. But Sauron had fallen to evil. This is where Gandalf, I guess, can go live on a mountain villa somewhere and, you know, enjoy cocktails and whatever. Watch the, watch the birds fly around. I don't know, dream up new little wizard things to do. But that's not what he does. Gandalf comes into his own as this white wizard. Now, instead of fleeing Middle-earth and all the trouble that it's caused him, all the way to the point of death, even... He re-engages Middle-earth. He goes back in. Now he's going to do, continue to try to save the human race. He'll get on a horse. He'll ride off to Rohan. He'll, he'll help to save Rohan. He'll ride off to Gondor. Help to self, save Gondor. The whole nine yards. What if that's us? What if it's not enough for us to try to save ourselves by serving Christ in some way that gets us into heaven? But what if we turned off the TV and set our smartphones down for hours at a time? What if we prayed daily? What if we had daily spiritual reading? Daily spiritual reading. What if we started to practice the faith, which meant removing things from our life that are taking us in the wrong direction and adding things in our life that would take us in the right direction and take others in the right direction? What if we would be spurned by our own family members for trying? What if our own family members would wish that we would stop trying to save them? But because we love them, we just can't stop trying. Even though in heaven, with or without them, it won't change our happiness. When one gets to heaven, it'll be the, the apocalypse of happiness. There'll be nothing more to add to our happiness. And so whether a family member makes it to heaven or not, it won't add or subtract from our happiness in heaven or wouldn't be heaven. Rather, like Jesus, we want them to make it to to heaven for their happiness, even if they don't want to serve Jesus in this life. But Jesus came and he suffered and he died and he rose from the dead, that we would have eternal life despite ourselves. 
despite the fact that we really didn't want him to do that for us. We just wanted to enjoy our peanuts here on earth and forfeit eternal beatitude just for our little happiness in this life, which will be over for all of us in the blink of an eye. Over for all of us in the blink of an eye compared to eternity. For your older folks, I know that you can look at kids and say, I remember when they were born and now they're adults. That happened pretty fast. A little older, you can say, I remember when they were born and now they're adults and now they've had children and I remember that they were born and now they're adults. So you've seen two generations be born and become adults. And you realize, man, this is happening fast. And compared to eternity, it is the blink of an eye. So with what's left of the blink of an eye that's called our life, realize that in our own way here on earth, we're in our own form of Sheol, our own kind of Sheol, awaiting some kind of liberation where where we'll never suffer again, where we'll be infinitely happy forever, infinitely happy in love forever. And love is the key of it all. So it's not the superficial love of, of a TV show or of a of an interaction or a new car or a new thing or whatever, but no love, which is a much deeper kind of happiness. For eternity, if only with what's left of this life, we'll take advantage of that eternity that even Jesus' stepdad, Joseph, couldn't have until Jesus died. To take advantage of Easter and what it means, the resurrection. To serve Jesus, to get us into heaven. And because we want to see other people happy, not us, other people happy. To serve them even when they slap away our hand. Because we know that God loves us. And then we've got to love other people as God has loved us. And so we do. So, the meaning of this Easter the meaning of every Easter is that we can now go to heaven. Couldn't before Jesus died, but now we can go to heaven. It's not guaranteed. For those who will serve him, we can go to heaven. And for those who will serve him, we can help to get other people to heaven too. And those are incredible, incredible gifts that Jesus has given us. Never to be taken for granted. Never to be taken for granted. And to be acted upon. Your and I's life will be over so soon. And a hundred years from now, no one will ever remember Father Nathie. Unless I'm canonized and become a saint, which, given where I'm at right now, ain't going to happen. No one will remember that I existed a hundred years from now. You don't remember who your relatives were a hundred years ago. You don't remember the names of your great-great-grandparents. Some of you don't remember the names of just your grandparents. We're all ultimately forgotten from this world. It's passing away. This world is for the next world. For those who will serve Jesus and help to get other people to heaven too.